0: the Egyptians go unto Joseph what he saith to you do and the famine was over all the face of the earth and Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold unto the Egyptians and the famine waxed sore in the land of Egypt and all countries came into Egypt to Joseph for to buy corn because that the famine was so sore in all lands let's pray Heavenly Father, once again, it is our privilege to come into your house, to gather with our brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, to have the guidance of your Holy Spirit, and to have your word before us. Father, I pray and ask that you would help me to explain the text and to apply the principles, and that we might learn tremendous truths from Joseph tonight that would help us to overcome our past and not be prisoner to it, and to be successful in the future that you've given to us. God, help me, I pray, to honor you in this. In Jesus' name, amen. These verses cover more than seven years of Joseph's life. I mean, just like that, he's thirty years old. Seven years of plenty. It gives us uh, some brief accounts about what he was doing: gathering up, building storehouses, storehouses in every city, and they would put the uh, uh, the the crop overage in there to the point where it was it was uh, oh, without being able to count it. And and, and this story in this passage covers uh, uh, drastic changes from suffering to success in his life. But because it's condensed into such a short passage of Scripture, we don't get great details about that. And ones that are given to us can be easily missed if we're not looking for them. What Joseph did in transitioning from the prison to the palace is not as easy as it looks, we read this almost like we watch a Disney movie. And, you know, the, the, the outcast, the, uh, the poor urchin kid all of a sudden is elevated to be the king or the prince of the land. And they lived happily ever after. How many of you all figured out life doesn't work exactly like that? Right? And even with those opportunities and those successes, a lot of times there's some baggage that we're carrying that we have to deal with even as we move into that new opportunity. To be successful in Joseph's new opportunity, he had to overcome his past. History has taught us that many people are not able to overcome their past and that some people actually are self-destructive or self-sabotaging in the new opportunity or new relationship that they have because of the baggage they carry from their past. Just think about the baggage that Joseph must have carried with him. Joseph was literally hated by ten of his brothers. Now, we're not talking sibling rivalry. We're talking animus, literal hate. Can you imagine that? Being the person in your family that is hated by your 10 older siblings. Hate it so much so that they plotted to kill him. Now, I've heard some harrowing stories about some siblings who nearly killed each other in childhood, But I never have met anybody who literally had their siblings sit down and talk about killing them and settled for selling them into human slavery. But that's what Joseph went through as a teenage boy. And you all know our hormones are not right as teenagers, right? You, you, you know, when you have teenagers, you realize, man, there's a lot of chemical transactions that are taking place in the human body, in the adolescent mind. And uh, there's a lot of stuff that they're trying to process. And you imagine being 17 years old being hated by your siblings, and they settle. Instead of killing you, they settle for selling you into slavery. Then as a teenager, he is trafficked into a foreign country. And so while Canaan was near to Egypt, we have to understand that was a completely foreign country, a completely foreign culture, foreign languages, foreign dress. I mean, it would be like you or I uh, being taken out of the United States and, and not into Canada, but into some place like Venezuela or Singapore, and, and being placed there, stripped from our families, stripped from our homes, stripped of our rights, and being sold, Joseph was sold as a slave to an Egyptian. Now, he's not a runaway, he's not trying to make his way, he's literally the property of someone else. And then, after years of honest hard work and faithfulness, I mean, Joseph exudes character that is unparalleled. I mean, here's a here's a young man who has the world against him, and the Bible says that the Lord was with him, that he was faithful to the Lord, that he was a hard worker and that he was so honest that he climbed up uh, to a higher rung on the slave ladder. He is now the steward of Potiphar's house, but mind you, he's still a slave. He might be the highest slave in the house, but he is still a slave. And he gets there after this years of toilsome work and, and, and honesty and faithfulness only to be lied about and framed for a crime that he didn't commit. As a matter of fact, he is actually rewarded for his integrity with prison. Right? It was integrity that kept him from Potiphar's wife's enticements. And instead of him being rewarded for that, He's punished for it. I don't know about you, but I'd be getting pretty tired by that point. And I'd be looking to my God saying, what is going on here? Have I not served you? Have I not loved you? Have I not been faithful to you? Did you not promise to me that you were going to use me in a mighty way? And this happens, and this happens, and this happens, and it's worse and bad and terrible. And from there, he's downgraded from a house slave to a prisoner. Now, you think you can't get any lower than a slave in a foreign land. Well, you can go from a slave in a foreign land to being a prisoner in a foreign land. And we don't know how much time exactly he spent in that prison. We know that it was over two years because that's how long he waited on the butler to, uh, to uh, call his name to Pharaoh. But I can tell you this, he spent enough time there to be institutionalized. Are you familiar with the institutionalized? You know, when a person is, is housed in an institution whether it's a prison, whether it's a hospital, wherever it may be, if they are there long enough because of their own mental survival... They become institutionalized. They learn how to operate within that institution, being told when to get up, when to go to bed, what to eat, what to wear, what to do, all of those things. As a matter of fact, it contributes to people reoffending when they get out of prison and they get out on the streets. They reoffend oftentimes because they become institutionalized and they are overwhelmed with freedom and don't know how to operate in the free world. And so you got to realize that Joseph experienced some real psychological trauma he experienced some things that could have devastated him and handicapped him and debilitated him in life i'm telling you joseph had quite a past of mistreatment to overcome in order to move forward in life and become successful. Just because he gets this promotion doesn't mean that his whole past is erased. He still carries many of that uh, in his memory. No doubt Joseph had psychological trauma and could easily have developed a victim mentality. And uh, he truly was a victim. He was a victim of other people's decisions, of other people's lies, of other people's manipulation... And he could have easily carried that victim mentality into his next opportunity and not became what God wanted him to become. But the question is, how did Joseph avoid being a prisoner to his past? How did he do that? I mean, how does a a kid who's been through so much become so successful when given the opportunity? Well, he gives us a clue in the names that he gave to his sons in this text. As I told you, it doesn't give us a lot of detail. God doesn't give us a psychological profile. He doesn't let us inside of Joseph's head other than this the two names that Joseph gave to the sons that were born to him Manasseh and Ephraim. We are told there in verse 51 that Joseph called the name of his first son Manasseh, saying, For God, said he, God hath made me forget all my toil. And all my father's house. And so Manasseh's name means forgetting. And then his second son, Ephraim, Joseph names him, for God hath caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. And so Ephraim means fruitful. And so these two names that Joseph picked out, he didn't pick just because he liked them, just because they matched, or because they were family names, they were significant. They were describing how he overcame his past, forgetfulness and fruitfulness. These are the two keys to overcoming your past and making your uh, future successful. And so this evening, I, I want us to just take a look at this and, and explore this a little bit and say, okay, what does this mean and how did this work out in Joseph's life? Because the fact is, Joseph could have remained imprisoned by bitterness and pessimism, right? He had enough sour experiences served him in life that he could have become bitter and he could have become bitter for life, and he certainly be, could have become a pessimist because any time that he seemed to have some measure of success, it was stripped away from him and the rug was ripped out from under his feet and he was thrown into, into a situation that was worse than he could have imagined. And I don't know about you, but I experienced a little bit of that when I was growing up. I experienced what it was to, to be abandoned, to have uh, th- hopes dash. And, uh, and it easily turns you pessimistic to where you think, I'm not going to get my hopes up because it just hurts when you hit to, from that high up. And so Joseph could have easily uh, been imprisoned by bitterness and pessimism for the rest of his life if he hadn't learned to forget the past. And so the first key that's here to overcome your past is Forgetfulness. Joseph calls that out in the name of his first son. He says, "...because you have caused me, God, to forget my toil and my father's house." You've caused me to forget my toil. Well, we know what the toil is, right? That's those years in prison. That's those years for Potiphar. But, but what has he forgotten about his father's house? Uh, perhaps, uh, because it's not given to us in detail... Perhaps he's saying that God had caused him to forget how much his brothers hated him. Or perhaps God relieved his sorrow at being separated from his father's house. Either way, he said forgetfulness was a key in him overcoming his past. You know, I have been told many times uh, in my ministry that I have a great memory. And I don't hear that as much now uh, as I used to when I was younger. But uh, people would notice it when I would quote scripture or recall a, a text in, in my sermon or be able to uh, recall information and state it. But, you know, here's something that people don't know, and that is that is that I have a good forgettery, too. Yeah, I, 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 I have the ability to forget. Forgettery is the ability to forget something, right? Now, some people have that naturally. They just can't remember anything. Uh, but uh, but uh, there's no doubt that, that some people have the natural ability to remember or forget information. However, what I've learned in life is that both require work. You say, man, you have a great memory. Well, what you don't know is that I have hundreds of note cards in my desk. And I have handwritten scriptures over the years. And I have carried those cards with me in my pocket, in my car, in my briefcase, and I have read them throughout the day, and I've memorized them statement by statement by statement until I had the whole verse memorized. And then I would put it in a drawer, and then every so often I would take it back out, and I would refresh my memory on it because it was important to me to be able to memorize certain passage of Scripture. And so while God gave me some natural ability to to have a good memory, There was work that went into being able to recall. And and I've encouraged people with that over the years. I believe everybody ought to memorize some scripture. And even if you say, I don't have a good memory, I I, I understand that. You may not be able to memorize large portions of scripture, but anybody can memorize if they simply do the work. There are some little tricks and keys that you can do that. Uh, Your memory is helped by the work that you put into it. And you may be surprised to learn this, but the same is true for your forgettery. Just as you can work to remember, you can also work to forget certain things. There are things that we can do to help us forget. And so when I look at this and I see that Joseph says, you know what, God caused me to forget my toil and the land and my father's house Well, we got to break that down because we we know he didn't forget everything, right? If he forgot everything, he wouldn't state what he was forgetting. You follow? So I'm not saying that he's lying about forgetting. I'm just telling you it doesn't mean that he's had a memory blank uh, wipe and that it's not in his mind at all, but that the memories are not as vivid, the memories are not as painful, the memories are not as debilitating as they once were. And I'm telling you, the same is true for you and I. We might have some memories in our past, whether it was from self-inflicted sin or whether it was from the mistreatment of others or, or maybe it was just simply this pattern that we felt that we were under for a while that we couldn't get out from. There are some things that you and I can do to work at forgetting and not recalling those memories. Think about this, Jeremiah 31, 34, God stated, I will remember their sin no more. So how many of you all think God has a perfect memory? You'd be right. He does. He's perfect in every way. As a matter of fact, one of His attributes is omniscience. That means that He knows everything about everything, past, present, and future. And yet God says, I will remember their sin no more. So what God is saying is, I will not recall it. I will not bring it up anymore. I will not focus on it. I will not see it. I will remember their sin no more. Jeremiah 31, 34. We can choose not to remember certain things. And so the same is true for you and I. We can make the same choice that God makes not to remember our past Especially if Satan uses your past against you to make you feel like you're a failure, to make you feel like you're an awful sinner, to make you feel like you can't do anything for God. You can choose not to remember your past. You say, well, well, I know that God can do that, but I'm not sure I can. Well, travel with me, if you would, to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul, let's think about who's writing here. The Apostle Paul had not always been saved, right? He's not one of the original 12 disciples. As a matter of fact, when we first meet this guy, we learn that his name is Saul, that he was a Pharisee, and that he was a persecutor of the church. In fact, he is the one who is named as authorizing the very first execution of a Christian. He is the one that when Stephen is stoned, the citizens lay their coats at Paul's feet. He's the one that gives them the religious authority to stone Stephen to death. We know that he went through Jerusalem arresting people and hauling them into jail and that he was so vehement in his hatred of Christianity and Christians that he got jurisdiction to be able to go to Damascus and if he found there any of that way that he could arrest them and bring them back. And while Stephen is the only one that we're given a detail about his execution, later in Paul's testimony in Acts 23, he says, Many were put to death because of my testimony. And when he testifies about himself in his letter to Timothy, he says, I was injurious. I was a persecutor of the church. He says, I was the chief of sinners. So this dude's got a past is what I'm saying, right? Philippians chapter 3, verse 13. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. What is that one thing, Paul? Look at the very next word. Forgetting. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. Paul says, Look, I haven't arrived. I haven't apprehended. I haven't gotten to the place where I I, I don't need any more improvement. But let me tell you one thing that I have done, what I have learned. I have learned to forget the stuff that is behind me and to reach for the stuff that is in front of me. That is a learned behavior. And I believe that we can all learn it we've heard much talk about memorizing no doubt we've been encouraged all the time that we've been in church to memorize scripture and to memorize scripture but I want to encourage you tonight to forget I want to encourage you to forget your past to forget those things uh, that come up in your memory and make you feel low the memory is a strange thing is it not I mean, we can be miles and years away from an embarrassing incident. I mean, maybe it happened when you were 15 years old in three states away, but if you remember it, all of a sudden, your posture changes, your countenance changes, and that memory does something to push you down a little bit. That's not God's design. That's not God's will for you and I. If you are born again by faith in Jesus Christ, God wants you to forget your past. He wants you to put those things behind you so that you can overcome it and move forward into what He has for you. In the Greek, uh, the Greek word is a verb in the present tense and the active voice. Forgetting, Paul says, forgetting those things which are behind. Which means that Paul is presently and actively not remembering. It is present tense, active voice, and a verb, which means he is actively and presently not remembering. It is not the case of forgetfulness. It is not that he says, man, I just can't remember these things anymore. It is that he is actively not remembering them. You say, well, how do you do that? Well, the word means to, to loose out of the mind and to no longer care for it. How do I overcome my past? How do I forget those things in my past? Well, you've got to stop holding on to them. You have to stop taking them out and looking at them and keeping them like they are your pet. How does one do this? Well, it begins with not dwelling on it. Have it, anybody, anybody in the room, are you dwellers? Do you dwell on things? Does something get in your mind and just eat you? Be honest now. I won't use it against you right it's good for the soul confession i'm told yeah it happens to us doesn't it i mean something gets into our mind and we'll just replay it and replay it and replay it and and, and we'll think about it well what if this would have happened well what if i would have said that well they said this well this is how i felt well and we just we just just focus on we replay it and replay it and replay it well One of the things that we can do is choose not to make it the focus of our thoughts. You don't have to dwell on things. I do not have to dwell on those things. We don't have to sit and focus our attention on that. We are in control of our minds, and we can direct the attention of our mind where we want to, and we don't have to keep directing it to the past and to those failures and to those mistreatments and those things that drag us down. And so I would say stop replaying it in your mind. Stop replaying it. Stop replaying that scenario. Stop thinking about it in all of its various scenarios that could have been, right? Well, if I would have said this, this would have went differently. Well, if I'd have turned there, this wouldn't have happened. Well, if I hadn't, and we can go on and on. But you know what we're doing? We're replaying it. We're thinking about it. We're focusing on it. We're dwelling on it. Stop imagining what everyone else thinks or would think about it. We do that too, don't we? If there were people around when it happened, all of a sudden we don't just replay that. We think, well, they must have thought this and they thought that. And then sometimes we invite some people who weren't even there and think, well, if they were here and if so-and-so would have saw this, they would have said that. And they would say, maybe I'm just confessing my own idiosyncrasies. But I think this is pretty common to the human experience that you and I get these thoughts in our minds and we just keep them at the focus, the forefront of our mind. And we don't have to. When Paul says forgetting those things which are behind, he says that he is actively and presently choosing not to focus on them, to not remember them. Now, this is easier said than done, I I know. So... Paul went on to give us a few more tools to help us forget the past. Look over at Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 with me, if you would. And so same letter that Paul continues to write. And he says in verse 6, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and what... Minds. What do you keep in those minds? That's where you keep your memories, right? And so the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Be careful for nothing, right? We use that word, be careful, watch out. We're we're saying, you know, be cautious. When the scripture says be careful for nothing, it's saying don't be full of care. In other words, don't be anxious about this. Don't be worrisome about this. And so the first tip that Paul gives us here is that we are to purposefully replace our worry and anxiety with prayer and thanksgiving. Right? Your mind is focused on something. So you can either focus it on worry and anxiety. You can be full of care. You can replay that scenario over and over and over again in your mind. Or you can make your mind stop thinking about that and you can turn its attention to God and you can begin praying to him prayer and thanksgiving. One of the habits that I have tried to develop in my own prayer life is to follow Jesus pattern of prayer which begins with thanksgiving. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Because sometimes we sneak our destructive thinking into our prayer time, and we come into the presence of Almighty God, the creator of heaven and earth, the one who is, is robed in light, with, unto whom none can approach, has a chorus of angels who are constantly hovering around him saying, Holy, 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 no one can stand in his presence. And we come right into his presence and don't think about any of that. We're like, do you know what so-and-so did to me? Do you know what I went through? Do you know what... I-? Let me tell you something. Nobody's going to enter the presence of God like that. When we come into the presence of God, we are going to fall on our faces as they do in Revelation chapter 5, and we are going to praise Him. And so when we start praying, instead of coming with our laundry list of cares and needs and wants, let's start with our list of God's attributes. And let's praise Him for being God, the only true and living God. Let's praise Him for being holy, righteous, and just. Let's praise Him for being all-powerful, all-knowing, and ever-present. Let's praise Him for being loving and gracious and kind and forgiving and long-suffering. Let's praise Him for being the creator of heaven and earth. Let's praise Him for being Jehovah Elohim, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Let's praise Him for being Jesus Christ, uh, the Lord and Savior of the world. Let's praise Him for being the Holy Ghost who comforts, convicts, and guides. Let's praise Him for everything that He has done, everything that He is doing, and everything that He's going to do. Let's start with praise. And you know what? Amazingly, when you start focusing on God and praising Him and being thankful to Him, there's not room in your mind for all of those memories and thoughts that you've been dealing with. And then, once you've praised Him and you've got your mind fixed on Him, then you are in a mindset to begin praying about those things. Is it something in the past that cannot be changed? We'll leave it there. Don't waste prayer time on that because it's not going to affect anything. If it's an ongoing problem, then pray to God, God, give me wisdom. Help me to understand how to navigate this. Help me to have the right attitude about this. Help this not to control me and not to become my idol as I give it all my attention and I don't give my attention to you. That's the type of thing that Paul is talking about. Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known unto God. And then... He says this, that the peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep our hearts and minds. An amazing thing happens is that when you start to to take the time you spend in your head and and you instead spend it in prayer and not about your problems, uh, God does something amazing and his peace shows up in your heart and in your mind in place of those anxious and angry thoughts. I don't know how it all works, but I know that it works. That if I'm spending my time replaying those hurtful scenarios from my past, that's all I'm going to see. But when I start praying and entering into the presence of God, there is something that happens in my spirit, in my mind, in my heart that takes away that anxiousness, that takes away that anger, and it replaces it with the peace of God. The counterpart to that is to focus your thoughts on good things. Look at what Paul goes on to say in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, what's that next word? Say it again. One more time. Think on these things. Controlling your thoughts is a discipline that every person needs to work on and develop. Every one of us needs to learn to do what Paul tells us to do here. To think on these things. Stop thinking thinking on the negative stop thinking on the hurtful stop thinking on those past mistreatments that keep you prisoner to them long after God sets you free and instead focus your thoughts on things that are true and honest and lovely and pure you see the fact is we're all prone to negative self-talk one preacher said the problem is we listen to ourselves instead of talking to ourselves have you noticed that if if you're not in control, all of a sudden there's this this thing in your head that just seems to start playing automatically? Does it not? It's like the low lights of your life sometimes just start to replay in your mind. And, and we'll just give it audience. We'll sit down and get us a, a bag of imaginary popcorn and just you know have us a, have us a, a pity party as the real begins to play, or. We can talk to ourselves and we can focus our thoughts on the things that are true, honest, pure. Did you know most of your imagination is not true? How many of you all ever... And Now, I'm asking for a lot of interaction tonight. I think I'm self-conscious, so I need somebody to identify with me. Anybody ever imagined an argument that didn't happen? Like you're dreading an interaction that you're going to have with somebody... And in your mind, you've already imagined what they're going to say. Then you've imagined what you're saying. And then you're imagining what they're saying back. And you went through this whole thing. And then when the time comes, they don't do any of that. And you realize, man, I wasted a lot of time and a lot of energy and a lot of anxiety imagining something that was not true. And so God tells us, be in control of your thoughts. Be in control of your mind. Don't let it just focus on whatever it wants to because your flesh is not saved and your your spirit is housed in this body of flesh and that flesh isn't just something that just craves the indulgences of sin it also wants to to take your mind and focus it on things that are not edifying that are not upbuilding but that drag you down and keep you from being the Christian that God wants you to be just imagine the self talk the negative self-talk that Joseph or Paul could have had in their own minds if they'd have let themselves. Well, Joseph, your family doesn't even lo- love you. Why would anybody down here respect you? I mean, your brothers didn't respect your leadership. You, I mean, he could have just went over and over. What about the Apostle Paul? He he could have defeated himself from being the the man that God wanted him to be by saying, "You know what? You dirty low down dog. You 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 persecuted the church. You hurt men and women. You don't deserve to be in this place. You. What do you have to tell anybody? Why are you writing a letter in the Bible? Why? What well, what do you think you're doing? going? going around planting a tree. I'm telling you, these men experienced something from God that helped them overcome their past. And they both told us what it was, forgetting. Joseph said, Manasseh, because God has made me to forget my toil in my father's house. And Paul says, look, I've not arrived, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching toward those things which are ahead. The other key to overcoming our past that Joseph gives us is fruitfulness. In verse 52, the name of the second he called Ephraim for God hath called, he, uh, he called Ephraim for God hath caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. Now, that entire text that we read is a description of Joseph's fruitfulness. When he gets placed into that position, he doesn't hole up, he doesn't shut down, he doesn't play the victim car, he gets busy. He gets to work. He has a plan. He has a productive uh, day ahead of him. He goes about making sure that the storehouses are built, that the, the percentage of grain is stocked up. I mean, he is he is ceaselessly productive. Do you realize that in that seven-year period of time, through the providence of God and and the help of Joseph... Egypt emerges as the greatest nation in the world because this worldwide famine literally begins to take out the peoples around them so that not only is the land of Egypt survived and fed off of the storehouses of Joseph, but the lands around Egypt begin making the journey there to purchase and to buy grain from them so that they can survive. And so Joseph was... Fruitful. Joseph becomes extremely productive and makes the most of the opportunity that is set before him. And so when Christ saved you and I, listen, he equipped us for fruitfulness. Now, this is not a self-help talk. This is not a, a get-rich uh, conference. So when I talk about overcoming your past and being successful in your future, I'm not talking to you about how you can get a promotion at your job. What I'm talking to you about is how that God saved you and equipped you to be fruitful in your Christian life and that you have to forget your sinful past and you have to learn to be productive and fruitful in your walk with Christ. Our fruitfulness is not measured by our annual income, our job title, or our net worth. It is in our relationship to Christ. And sadly, there's a lot of people who have been held prisoner to their past and they don't ever move forward into the joyful, fruitful life that Christ has for them because they keep telling themselves they're not enough. As a matter of fact, in John 15, Jesus said it this way. He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me and I am him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. So shall you be my disciples. If you want to overcome your past, then stop focusing on it. And become fruitful in your walk with Christ. Become fruitful in your relationship with Christ. You say, how do I do that? Well, the good news is is that there's some overlap. Remember how Paul said, if you, instead of worry, spend time praying, that that will help you forget the past? Do you realize that when Jesus says, abide with me, that word means dwell with me, live with me, have a life with me? And one of the ways that we do that is through prayer time. You neglect your prayer time, you're not going to be fruitful in your Christian life. You see, God's not going to allow you to have spiritual achievements that were only the basis of your own productivity. He wants you and I to learn to live in dependence upon Him, to pray about matters. Sometimes He'll give us things that are too big for us so that we will pray about them, and then He has the opportunity to work it out in a way that we never could have on our own. And so when Jesus says, Abide with me, He's wanting us to spend time with Him in prayer. He wants us to live with Him I don't think our spouses would like it too well if we didn't talk to them five out of the seven days of the week. Maybe, maybe some people's spouses would. I don't know. But as a rule, right, we want to communicate with each other. Well, how sad is it that we go through a week without praying and talking to God? God wants us to abide with Him. That's where fruit begins to show up. Not only that, Jesus says, Let my words abide in you, and you abide in me. One of the other ways that we abide in Christ and we see fruitfulness in our life is through God's Word. That's why we encourage Bible reading. That's why we do the Bible reading calendars. And we say, read your Bible every single day. Read a portion of it. It doesn't matter how many chapters or how many verses you read, but it is important that you read God's Word and you get into the habit and the discipline of reading God's Word every single day because that's going to produce fruit in your life as a Christian. And if you don't, you're going to find yourself fruitless. And another way is through worship coming into God's house with other people, focusing on God, singing the songs, uh, digesting the Word, and, and giving it back to Him in worship. And then also evangelism. One of the great fruits of the Christian life is getting to lead other people to Christ. And so as I think about this pattern for us to overcome our past, one is that we forget those things behind us, but the other is that we become fruitful. Productive, Right? Joseph knew what he had to do. Right? He's got seven plenteous years. He's got to get that food stocked up so that it will last. Well, friends, you and I know what we need to do in our walk with Christ. We need to pray. We need to read our Bibles. We need to worship. And as we do, we will see the fruitfulness of Christ developing in our life. It doesn't matter what your past is. If you have Christ in your present, your future is truly Unlimited. Let's pray. Dear Father, thank you once again for your word. Thank you for men of old, like Joseph, like Paul, who did not have perfect lives, who had dysfunctional families, who had unnecessary drama, who had hardships, abuse, mistreatment, some things we can't even imagine that they experienced and went through. And yet, God, you saved them, you chose them, and you used them in a mighty and powerful way. God, help us to learn from these characters in Scripture. Help us to overcome our past. Lord, I believe that one of Satan's tools is trying to remind us of how bad we used to be or how bad our life used to be or the mistreatment that others gave to us. God, help us not to allow... Uh, those thoughts to consume our minds, but teach us uh, to forget, to not to remember, and to focus our thoughts on things that are true and lovely and honest and good. God, I pray and ask that you would teach us and help us to be fruitful. May we see the fruit of Christ's likeness develop in our lives as we live day to day with him. God, I pray that this message is a help to some tonight, and I pray that in Jesus' name, amen.